Hi everybody, Chris and I recorded this originally back in March, I think, back when UK Netflix got Snowpiercer, um, and then I started editing it and gave up, uh, and now we are posting this mostly unedited, uh, just because it's so late now. Enjoy. Hi. Okay. Hi. Hi, Hi, I'm Chris. I'm Chris. And we like movies. Hi, yeah, we like movies. We we like lots lots of different movies. As you probably, if you're a regular listener, you would know all this already. Yeah. But if you're not, then it's good to recap. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a podcast where one of us shows the other one of our favorite movies, and that other person may or may not ruin it, but we're definitely going to ruin it for you. And it's kind of key that the other person hasn't seen this film before. Yes. Before they, we watched it together. So, yeah. So what did I make you watch this week? Um, maybe watch something called, um, oh my god. Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. I nearly said <laughs> Ice Splitter then. Ice Splitter. That's not right. <laughs> That's not right. And is this one of your favourite films? Is it actually yeah. one? Oh, okay. I really like it. So, this film is uh, six years old. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of it. Yeah. Um, I, it's a Korean. South yeah. Korean? Uh, well, it's certainly not North Korean. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't realize that when we started watching it. And um, I thought, was this just another big Hollywood film full of violence and action? Well, it's a Korean director. There's uh, a very varied cast, but... A lot of the major players are American or European. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I did look it up, and it said the nationality was Korean and something else. When I when I retrace my steps, hmm. the director is called Bong Joon Ho. Yes. And apparently, he's done lots of other similar, similarly themed pieces. I don't know about similarly themed necessarily. Uh, he's well, science fiction action. Fans. Yes, yeah. I would say that this, like, compared to the host, the themes in this are dramatically different. Mm -hmm. So, Chris, what happens in Snowpiercer? Okay, South Korea and Czech Republic, according to Wikipedia. Oh, interesting. But so, no Hollywood money at all in this film. Hmm. Okay, so it's kind of set in... Does it have a time? Yeah, it's in the future. Uh, How much in the future? It's not that far off now. Is it 2014? No, no, no. It came out in... 2013? Yeah. Hang on, let me look at the plot. <laughs> oh, you know what? 2014 is when the thing happens. So that's why I was thinking 2014. Mm -hmm. In 2014, an attempt to counteract global warming through climate engineering backfires catastrophically, causing another ice age and extinction event. Yes. And this is set in 2031. And the elites have uh, managed to kind of keep life going aboard a train. Mm -hmm. A continually running train. Yes. The perpetual motion train. The engine that never stops. So you have uh, sort of the rich people who were already on this 
luxury train when the Ice Age, New Ice Age happened, and then you have the poor people who the got scum. onto you, yeah, the tail sectioners who got onto the train as the Ice Age was happening in order to survive. Mm. And the but, story of this movie is 17 years on from that event, you I'm have a revolution. What, what, I must admit that when we started watching this film, I didn't know what was going on hmm. because it was so because the as you said the acting was conspiratorial. Yes. In other words, low and mumbly, and I couldn't really make <laughs> out what was going on, what they were saying. Yeah. Which that's why I asked you to put subtitles on, but it's not, it's not clear. Or it wasn't to me that what that that what was going on on the train. They were on the train, mm-hmm. but you kind of don't get an idea of what's at the front of the train at yeah. this point. It's very much told from the point of view of the skull at the back. Yeah. We sort of begin the movie at the tail section with these people who are clearly living in squalor and hardship, and it's not clear what's going on at the front of the train, but we know that between the tail and the head of the train, there is this police force which is keeping these people here in the tail section. So we know that there's some sort of class structure happening. But it's not clear how exactly it, it's developed on the mm-hmm. train. Um, when I say scum, this is this is not this is not what I think. This is kind of how the elites describe them. Yeah, the tail sectioners. Mm-hmm. I'll call them the tail sectioners from now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. That's kind of that's kind of the key characters. Uh, the this. This guy, what's his name? This guy called Chris Evans, who I've never seen in a film before, ever. Mm-hmm. But I've heard of him. Yeah. What's the name of the character he plays? Was it Marcus or Gideon or something? No, no, no. Or am I thinking of something totally different? I can't remember his character's name either. Let's Wikipedia that a second. <laughs> Bear with us. Evans as Curtis, Curtis, the leader yes. of the revolution. Yeah, because that's basically what the what the film, the initial happenings in the film builds up to this this revolution. So, right. and Curtis is kind of you kind of see the sparks early on that that's kind of what he wants. Right. Um. So I, I really love this movie. It's one of my favorites. It's really weird, like conceptually. It very much builds its own world and demands that you accept it before you could even begin to follow what's sort of going yeah, to happen okay. in the movie. And one of the reasons I really like it is that it by building this sort of tangential world, which is structurally quite similar to our own but superficially quite distinct it's able to explore very obvious themes in a a novel way Mm -hmm. which of course is like the whole caveat of science fiction like you you build an alien world in which similar structures appear in order to deconstruct and critique those structures in the real world yeah yeah and i think it's done really well here that's kind of my afterthought on that i was thinking okay that's kind of 
what the conspiratorial the, the conspiracy theorists would say is like how the world is mm-hmm. but it's set on a triangle yeah so I really like it and I think it also sort of there's a reading of it that manages kind of a critique from the left of anti-native and uh, pro-state leftist positions. Mm-hmm. So I also think that's quite interesting. The The argument for that is sort of based on one or two scenes in the movie, but it, it's... Which scenes, specifically? So specifically... Uh, the climax when Curtis meets Wilford, Wilford. in the engine, and uh, so the, Wilford's the the the, the 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 elite, the, the most elite guy yeah. on the train. He's, he's talked about throughout the film as someone who's at the top, and they're trying. The point where the revolution starts, they're trying to get to him. Yeah, and yeah, he and we yeah. meet him at the end of the film when the film starts. He's like this Randian industrialist who created this magical train as like this decadent thing for the super rich. Yeah. And now he's trapped on this train. He's maintaining, well, he's maintaining the engine. He's running the thing. So I think the scene where Curtis meets Wolford is in effect a critique of like pro-state leftists, like the, like the Bolsheviks. Uh, at least when you take into context the behavior and goals of the uh, the guy who designed the locks on all the, the gates, whose name I can't remember right now, um, but he's sort of an essential figure in the film as well. I can't think who you mean. The guy they pulled out of the prison drawer with the daughter, that they're both addicted to chrono. Oh, him. Oh, yeah, him. Yeah. And so I think when you take his position. I never quite asked why he was in, in, the, in the drawer. He was in prison. He was probably imprisoned because he is... Because he knew too much about the train. Mm-hmm. He designed all these locks. So they they can't just let him free. Let him be free because he could open all the doors. So they shut him in a drawer. So they shut him in a drawer. They can't just outright kill him by, say, chucking him out of the train because they need him in case something goes wrong, presumably. So he's very, this character's very aware of what's going on. Yeah, he's important and yeah uh, necessary, but he's not, uh, he's not on the side of the people who are in power, and thus he's dangerous. Yeah. And I think that's also, like, a strong position for this film to take. And I didn't realise that was his daughter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I totally misinterpreted that. It said... I just think that she was his friend who was just with him. Or... No, it said like once or twice in the film. Okay. When he initially pulls her out of the drawer and I think at one later time um, when he has to protect her during the tunnel scene. She is also a very valuable character because she can kind of sense what's about to happen. Yeah, she's clairvoyant, so she can tell what's behind every door. She knows what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's quite... explained why she has this power? No. I mean, it's not even fully accepted that she has this power. It's sort of... She demonstrates it a few times 
and Curtis sort of believes it at face value, but I don't get the impression that it's because he fundamentally believes in the existence of powers, but merely that she is capable of predicting these things, mm -hmm. which, you know, might just mean she has, like, extra sensitive hearing or something. She spent her whole life on the train, so maybe she she knows it more intimately than most. Mm -hmm. I think there's a bunch of explanations. I don't think it's really important for the film. So, Chris? There's also, we should also mention the other character, um, Oh God, what's his name? The John Hurt character. The one, the one, oh, let me consult Wikipedia <laughs> one more time. Curtis's friend. Yeah. The, the one who apparently was in, in leagues with Wilford. But do we believe Wilford when he says yes. this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think it's important that that is actually true for the, the narrative. Okay. John Guilford as Gilliam. Yes, John Gilf Gilliam. Sorry, John Hurt as Gilliam. Yeah. Yeah, so he's like an unofficial leader of the tail section. Uh, sort of, he acts as sort of like a moral center in the yeah. film. Um, and at the climax, it's revealed that he was working with Wilford, the industrialist at the head of the train. The he's whole already time. been um, extinguished by this point, right? If that one already extinguished, eliminated. Yes. Um, this is an interesting, straying from the point slightly, but John Hurt, right? the director first saw John Hurt in the Elephant Man, while at middle school. No. Oh. Which made him curious about the actor. For the part of Gillian, he wanted an older actor, though one with the ability to exude the ambience of spirituality. Mm. Maybe that's one we could watch next, another time, the Elephant Man. Yeah. Never seen it? No. Right. That's going on the list. Right. Sorry. Okay digressed a bit there. So Chris, what did you think of this movie overall? Okay. Firstly, I was annoyed I couldn't understand what's going on at the yeah. beginning. Thought, what the hell? And then it kind of slipped into, oh, it's violent. It's it's another film based around violence. Yeah. I would say it's based around violence in sort of two ways. There's the obvious ways where there are like action scenes where a lot of people die or mm -hmm. get messed up. But I say the film is based around violence, but it's based around violence in the second sense, which is the violence of like state bureaucracy, where they force these people to eat protein blocks, which are made from made the ground up. Yeah, yeah, ground up cockroaches, which are feeding on the refuse of these people. Mm -hmm. The the violence of keeping them confined into a small space, the violence of culling their numbers systematically. And so I think, yes, the movie is based around violence in that sense. The, sec the first type of violence where it's the retribution of the oppressed against the ruling mm -hmm. class, I think that is necessary for the film, but I don't think the film is... Uh, centered on it and I'd say that the film even goes some way to uh, to avoid directly showing a lot of that because there is a whole scene where a great deal of violence happens in the dark and nothing can really be seen and the way that it's shot in even the brightly lit action scenes a lot of the time there's 
there's cutaways to focus on people's faces mm -hmm. rather than on the violence being done mm -hmm. by them. Well, that was kind of necessary for the, the scene because it was in the dark. No, even the, the brightly lit ones. So oh. there's, before they go into the tunnel and Curtis yeah. is fighting, there's a sort of long shot where you're panning along and seeing people fighting with axes. But uh, towards the end of that shot, Curtis narrowly avoids getting hit and then he strikes back and it cuts to Curtis's face rather than showing what Curtis is doing or what is being done to Curtis. Yeah. It focuses on that. Wasn't there a scene where the Irish guy stops him from getting blocks the shot coming in for his head or something? Yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten that even actually mind him. That was kind of kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, my initial thoughts on that work was I've got more another f yeah. But as you get into the film, you kind of appreciate the story. I'm perfectly. I was annoyed at first, mm -hmm. but uh, having watched the whole thing, I'm. I'm kind of. I like the story. Yeah. I wasn't liking on the. The physical violence, but um, it's something I would like to see again. Mm -hmm. Now that it's like when we watched another film, I watched that I had issues with was Get Out because mm -hmm. it was so hard to watch because it was so un unpleasant. But I loved it by the end of it, and I, yeah. I can't wait to watch it again because of the story. Because mm -hmm. once you've got through all that, you've got through the hard bits, you can appreciate story yeah and that's the same with this there were some wobbly camera movements which which I always find a bit annoying mm. but they're not that they're not that distracting yeah okay so I have a full page of notes <laughs> I didn't take any notes. Yeah, I didn't take any notes during the movie, but afterwards uh, I wrote down a bunch of thoughts. I just kind of listen to what you say and then just react to what you say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so That's basically our podcast. Yeah. I think it works. Yeah. So, like, Snowpiercer deals with a few different themes that some are very obvious, right? Like, the movie is fundamentally a critique of capitalism and uh, sort of a revolutionary narrative. Yeah. 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 Very much a class, class conflict. Mm -hmm. um, but in addition to that, it sort of, they're not necessarily secondary themes. I think they are actually quite essential to the, the narrative, but it also covers sort of this Malthusian eugenics perspective mm. so that it, throughout the movie, it comes up quite a few times that the ruling classes, a ruling class is uh, culling the numbers of the lower class, specifically, and uh, that they've historically and presently created these revolutions by nudging certain characters in the lower class. Yeah. And they do that specifically so that parts of the lower class die off. And the argument that they give is that 
this is a closed system and it's carefully balanced and in order for things to be in, remain in balance we need to control the population yada yada eugenics Malthusian bullshit um, but the movie also takes great pains to actually explain that the train is not a closed system so when they they take the water car yeah they thought they had reached a strong uh, like pivot point in their the revolution that they could turn off the water and they could then force the ruling class to come to the bargaining table and the member of the ruling class that they've taken hostage reveals you'd only doom yourselves because the front sections get their water from the nose as it drives through the snow so it is specifically not a closed system mm -hmm. and i think that's quite important because it it undermines this malthusian narrative of a closed system and it does so in a way that in the context of the film critiquing capitalism also says this malthusian argument this eugenics argument is fundamentally superficial and it is incorrect and i think that's important Mm -hmm. And in the context of the film, so the end, we find out it is actually survivable outside. That's kind of, that's, that's, that's kind of, that was kind of the moment that I kind of, that was kind of the, the, the moment that lifted kind of the veil of, there's nothing else we can do with that. And, I, and, that, and it kind of opens up. We, we can simply survive. Yeah, there is there is hope. Right, we don't just have to we don't have to bargain. We can just get off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like this, that also serves to undermine this Malthusian narrative mm -hmm. because the yeah. Malthusian narrative is that this is a closed system and there is no yeah. alternative. Yeah. And once you realize that they can survive outside, suddenly this narrative yeah. is exceptionally cruel. Mm -hmm. Right. So I thought that was really interesting and really well done. The way that they tied it into this class conflict and also the closed system of the train yeah. it's a very tight narrative and i think it's thematically quite quite intertwined it's and it's and it's plot and character mm -hmm. yeah yeah um what do you think about the the acting i thought the acting was very good overall hmm. the there's characters in it that are just so despicable. You can't wait for them to get yeah eliminated. I mean, the, and you and I was cheering when, <laughs> when yeah, when you, they you did actually cheer. Yeah, um, there is. I'd say a lot of the characters are truly characters in the pure yeah. sense of the world word. In the that, Tilda Swinton character was was like a, a, a caricature. Of yes, I mean, I think a lot of them are. Yeah, uh, even. Like Curtis is a caricature of the revolutionary or party hero, yeah. and uh, Wilford is the character caricature of a Randian industrialist mm -hmm. uh, who's like cruel and calculated and cold and obsessed with trains. Uh, Claude, the woman in yellow, who doesn't really do much. She just kind of yeah lurks. She's the child snatcher. Yeah, um, who likes the taste of her own blood. Yeah very like a caricature yeah just exceptionally sociopathic mm -hmm. 
Yeah, she's the one I couldn't wait to see get it. Yeah. Mean. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there was there was a, um, a I had a, a cl- my cliche moment there. Mm. The scene where oh, what was his name? The bad guy that doesn't really talk. The scene where he gets it, they finally give it to him, yeah. and I said, just check that he's actually dead. Yeah. Because you just because because you know he's gonna get up and and then uh, like what was it half an hour later? Yeah. You see, it? just sits they up. cut back to him. And he gets up. Yep. Oh. Yeah. That was my. That was that was the cliche for me. Yeah. Fair enough. Um. I'm guessing that is sort of a concession to the plot. Mm. So in that final scene, I've forgotten how he actually gets it now. What does he do? So he ends up going to the front of the train mm. and fighting the lock guy. Yeah. The jawgrip. While Yuna, or Yona, rather, Yona goes and gets the matches from Curtis. The matches, yeah. Or Curtis, the match. The match. And Curtis is sort of frozen in place because he's realizing his whole revolutionary narrative was actually manufactured. Yeah, because Wilford, Wilford's offered him the role. Yeah. He's off, he wants him to take over. Right. Um, we should also mention the great his, his redemption because the, the backstory is... He's got both of his arms. Yeah. So this actually ties into a critique of the movie that I have. That a lot of the dialogue ends up being very expository. Yeah. So there's a lot of points where they're sort of explaining how things are to other people. And of course, they've all been on this train for 17 years. So there's (laughs) nobody who doesn't know how this works. So I, that was... I mean, they had to do it, right, to explain it to us, yeah, the well, audience. That's how films But work. it was a little distracting yeah. at points. Uh, specific, there is, so the story that you're referring to, with the two arms. Yeah. Gilliam is held up as this moral center because Gilliam gave his arm years ago to hungry people in the tail section so that they wouldn't eat a baby. He's also given his leg at some point. And his leg. And, you know, it's revealed that this sort of became... A practice among the people of the tail section mm-hmm. to give off, give up body parts for food to other people in the tail section before the ruling classes started feeding them ground up insects. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's a bit of dialogue where um, Curtis says, I know what babies taste like, or something. I know what yep. children taste like. Babies taste the best. Right. He said, You know what I hate about myself? I know what people taste like, mm-hmm. and I know that babies taste best. Yeah. He's not He's not happy at what he's saying. Yes, yeah, he's, he's very, very upset. Yeah. He's smoking the last cigarette in the world. <laughs> you know, it's a good piece of characterization and world yeah. building to show the trauma of the tail section. But it was also kind of jarring in the moment because they're at this moment of climax where things are like, they're happening. Mm-hmm. I need you to focus and stop talking, but they're sort of telling the story instead. It's sort of explained in the in the plot of the movie because the the lock guy has to open that gate. What is his name? I can't. The lock guy. Is it the, the lock guy or the jaw guy? Uh, he's called Namgu Minsu. Yes. Okay. Namgu Minsu. Okay. 
So Minsu, you know, he has to open this final gate yeah. to get into the, the head section of the train. And while he's figuring that out, Chris Evans' character, Curtis, is explaining this baby-eating story yeah. and how they used to eat people before the ruling classes started feeding them bugs. Um, I mean, yeah, good story, good world-building, awkward timing. The expository dialogue throughout is sort of an issue. I guess once they leave the tail section and it's... Uh, Tilda Swinton's character explaining to the tail sectioners how things are done ahead on the train. That, I guess, makes sense in the context of the film because they don't know. They've never left the tail section. Um, yeah, so Curtis is like the party hero, the revolutionary hero archetype. Mm -hmm. And he's sort of like a Leninist sort of archetype because he's considering taking over the head of the train, which is like historically how the Bolsheviks did it. They took over power and then basically reinstated the bureaucracy of the Tsarist regime, but now they're in power, mm -hmm. which is sort of the, the Marxist or traditionally Marxist, contemporarily Leninist perspective. You have to take the power of the state and use it for your own ends. Whereas, like, uh, Minsu, I think, represents, like, an anarchist or indigenous archetype, or an indigenous anarchist archetype, because rather than taking over the power of the state, he explicitly says, I don't want to go in there. I want to open the door to the outside and, and get, get out, out of here. Yeah. And it's sort of simultaneously anarchist because he doesn't want to take power, he wants to uh, subvert power. Well, and he's the one who's figured that out as well. So yeah. he... Well, he didn't figure it out. That's the the indigenous part. The uh, the Inuit woman, who was part of the Frozen Seven, who led a previous revolution, who believed that, based on what the snow looked like, mm -hmm. that people could survive outside, and she led a revolution to get outside, and then seven people got out and they froze to death. She taught him that it's probably safe to be outside. She told him to look for the signs of the snow oh, melting. Okay. I missed that. Yeah. And so that's sort of the indigenous part, where it's uh, simultaneously a subversion of power and uh, the a return to life on Earth rather than on the train, mm -hmm. which I think in the context of the film is sort of a literal return to a traditional knowledge or a traditional living. So I think that that's his archetype in the film. Yeah, okay. um, Tilda Swinton is obviously the propagandist. Wilford is the Randian industrialist archetype. Um, the police are the pigs, obviously. The bald guy. The bald guy with no eyebrows. He, he's, oh, he basically the just slaughters people. Yeah, I mean, he's a literal egg man. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what he means in like... The, I can't think of an analog in our life other than like a CIA assassin who murders, who tried to murder, like, Castro or something. Something like that. Oh, six. Yeah. You know, the super police employed by ruling classes to preserve the condition of the lower classes, I guess. Um, 
Yeah. So I think the film is very interested in these archetypal figures within like both yeah. a capitalist system and a revolutionary struggle. Yeah. And it wants to it wants to sort of show what those roles are in the context of this film and also critique what those roles are in the context of this film. Because mm-hmm. Curtis, you know, his redemption is when he protects Yona during the explosion at the end. It's His redemption is not meeting Wilford and taking power. His well, it's, redemption it's kind is... kind of losing his arm. That was one thing. Yeah. Losing, losing his arm, his protecting arm. Yona. Yeah. yeah. So his redemption is not in the fulfillment of taking over the train, but in the, yeah. the, you know, the giving up of power. In Yona's the little boy. No, Yona's uh, Minsu's daughter. But he does save the little boy. That's why he loses his arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timmy. Timmy, that was it. Yeah. Although Timmy, his mum died, though, didn't she? Yes, Octavia Spencer's it, yeah. character, uh, who is great in this, I think. She's very... I think she's meant to be both... A tragic character and a comedic character. That's kind of that's kind of more real, more realistic. Yes, it is. Yeah, uh, and I think she does it really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. No notes. <laughs> of course, one thing that was never explained was um, the character of Edgar. He is Irish. Despite being born on the train. <laughs> Despite, he's got an Irish accent. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you do what you do. <laughs> I mean, maybe there is an explanation, we just never, we never got it. I think the explanation is the character could not do a different accent. The actor. Yeah, the actor couldn't do a different accent. Because, uh, well, like, Chris Evans is very much an American Octavia Spencer is an American. Their characters are American accented. Yeah, but I'm sure I've seen him do an American accent in some film. Mm-hmm. I think it was, what was that? What was that war film? The Clint Eastwood war film. I can't remember what it's called, but he, I'm sure he does an American accent. Mm. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to think what else I can say about this film. Um, it's good. Watch it. Oh, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I will, I will give it another chance, yeah. Because, like I said, getting through all the, the hard bits, mm-hmm. coming back to it is, sometimes it's better to, watching things a second time. Yeah. In that respect. Although, one film I had a very hard time watching the second time was The Wicker Man. Have you ever seen that? I've seen one of them. I can't remember which one. Because there's been a few remakes, I think. There's been one. One remake? Yeah. I might have seen the remake. Forget the remake. Watch the original. Okay. Okay. I'll put it on the list. <laughs> okay, so Snowpiercer. It was... It, I, it, I kind of liked it. Good. Awesome. I liked it better than the other thing. You showed me. Logan? Yeah. Much better than that. Okay. Well, you didn't ruin it for me. No. 
I didn't think I would be able to, frankly. <laughs> Even if I really hated it. So, okay. Yeah, so that was Snowpiercer. If you haven't seen Snowpiercer, I would say give it a chance. Yeah. And barring that, I don't know, maybe see Julie Andrews' tits. Well, that was our other option, <laughs> no. which was a lovely film called SOB, which, um, yeah, apart from it's got Julie Andrews' tits in it, hmm. it's, it's got, um, it's, it's a comedy, so. Okay. Right. Until next time. Until next time.